0: hello everyone this is a reason for hope once again it's good to see you all we're glad that you are joining us reason for hope is an hour-long live show uh which is a bible q a show that's right you can send your questions in through our multiple online platforms which i'll go over in a moment and we will find the answers to those questions in god's word the bible that's what we're all about so we're glad that you're joining us and giving us those questions and that content for us to use uh today thank you once again for for joining us my name is dave robson i'll be your host and be filled in all those questions and online activity with us today we have pastor scott richards who's a senior pastor here at calvary christian fellowship and pastor sean guilty is charged. as charged well yeah. that's right yeah. yes mm. father son team <laughs> here how are you guys doing today doing great yeah it's yeah. good to see you
1: yeah lots of internet fun and shenanigans today oh so, yeah yeah, yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun
0: there's always some of that yeah. certainly if you uh Go looking for it or even if you don't go looking for it but well as i mentioned reason for hope is a live show we're with you monday through friday 5 to 6 p.m here mountain standard time here in tucson arizona it's an outreach of calvary christian fellowship here in tucson so keep that in mind when you're trying to find us It will help you out different platforms calvary christian fellowship of tucson you can go to our website calvarychristianfellowship.com and just have a look around make yourself a home while you're there on the website we have lots of groups and things going on of course services here sundays and even wednesday evenings and all kinds of bible studies and groups so certainly if you're in the tucson area and you're trying to find somewhere as your church home then uh, you can check us out you're more than welcome and check out the website but for the purposes of this evening if you go to that watch live tab that's right there that will take you to our live page or the direct link is ccftucson.online.church anytime we're live we broadcast to there so our Sunday services and Wednesday evening services and other events we have but also of course a reason for hope so you'll see a countdown to the next show and a schedule of events when we're offline But when we're online like we are right now um, you'll see the video there you can sign in use a username of your choice and uh, send your questions in through the chat function right there and I'll be on there with you and watching those questions coming on in and um, get to them on the show today. We're on Facebook, of course, facebook.com slash CCF Tucson, or just look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. That's another way to send your question in. I'll be watching the chat box on the video right there. And don't forget to like and share. We'd love to uh, reach out to your friends as well and have a wider reach. So, Facebook, CCF Tucson, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, you'll find us there as well. We have an app for your mobile device, whether that's an iPhone or Android or iPad. Um, whatever mobile device really, look for it in your app store for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson download our app and we have a channel on Roku and Apple TV as well so if you have those devices or a smart TV uh, you'll be able to watch us on your big screen also which is pretty cool of course we're on YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope A Reason for Hope on YouTube, that's a great place for archive if you click on that live tab that's right there anytime we've been live it's uh, archived there automatically so if you miss the show or want to re-watch one or even check out our services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship thats a great place to go a reason for hope on YouTube and that live tab right there and of course like and share subscribe click the bell all the things on YouTube um, if you click the notification bell that means you'll get notified uh, when we're live You get a little ding little reminder um, so you might want to do that but uh, don't forget to like and share all that good stuff helps us spread the ministry, and we'd appreciate it. Uh, our pastor, Scott, here is on Twitter. Uh, ScottR4H is his handle there, at Scott, letter R, number four, letter H, where he posts uh, daily content and things, uh, highlights from the show, and commentary on world events and news events from a biblical perspective, from prophetic perspective. Uh, Pathetic, prophetic. <laughs> that too. That too. <laughs> perspective and all kinds of shenanigans. Um, so follow along if you're on Twitter. Scott Richard, Scott r h on Twitter there. And we're on Rumble as well. Our, our videos are posted there as as an archive. A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. So if you use Rumble, that's a newer to us thing. So add us there. And Rumble, A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A. And then our email address, hope at gmail.com questions for hope spelled out with letters at gmail.com if you're joining us on the radio um, you are listening to the last show we did pre-recorded so we're not live per se with you but use that email address questions for hope gmail.com and we will get to that question on our next uh, show we're glad you're joining us on whatever platform you have found us and once again get your questions into us sometimes we run out of time so get the questions in early and we can line them up to get to them all on the show today if you would Um, well we'd love to pause and pray before we go any further obviously we're handling god's word we want uh, the spirit to lead and want truth to reign of course so sean would you like to pray for us today absolutely that'd be great
2: God, thank you that we have the chance to be here. We want to invite you to be here as well, to not only speak to your people, but allow them to be blessed with your presence. The fact that we have used enough, but that you've given us your word is even better. So we ask that this would be a time where we enjoy not only what you've said, but who you are. And as we have the chance to clarify both and understand them, even in light of this dark world, that you would shine all the brighter. We pray this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. 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 Well, any updates to share with us? Sometimes we do a bit of a news update when you're here.
1: Yeah, um, yeah it was funny. We were talking uh, before airtime about uh, a uh, series of rocket uh, attacks that have happened uh, coming from uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, the uh, uh, Palestine uh, Jihad uh, group uh, responding to one of their leaders uh, dying as uh, the result of an 85-day hunger strike that he had in his Israeli prison. You can probably imagine how upsetting and irritating that would be uh, to peace in the region. So uh, hundred rockets were fired into Israel from Gaza in under 24 hours. Uh, the IDF wow. has responded in kind, but uh, the interesting thing about all of this is that this uh, response that Israel has here could have far-reaching implications for the entire government of Israel. Uh, you see uh, there is a uh, very controversial individual, a a person that was given a high-level cabinet position by Benjamin Netanyahu in order to achieve uh, the magic 61 uh, representative number in order to be prime minister in Israel to form a government. Uh, His name is Itamar Ben-Giver. We've mentioned him a number of times on the program. Well, uh, when Israel responded to Islamic Jihad's uh, rocket volleys, Uh, It uh, made a series of strategically targeted attacks, but certainly not in the same level that uh, Islamic Jihad did. Uh, Itamar Ben-Giver is uh, famous uh, for taking a very hard line uh, about these kind of attacks, these sort of things going on. And so, uh, in essence, uh, he has been throwing an eight-day fit over a couple of issues. First of all, the measured response that Israel took to these attacks did not suit Ben Giver's sensibilities, but also when plans were made to respond to these attacks, Ben Giver, who holds the position of Minister of National Security, uh, was not included in the discussions that uh, Benjamin Netanyahu had with the IDF and the other individuals, uh, the Mossad, the individuals that would uh, be uh, a part of putting these uh, attacks together. Well. What uh, really kind of comes down to in all of this is that uh, the governing coalition that Ben Giver comes from in the Knesset has now announced that they are going to boycott any votes in the Knesset on Wednesday and are going to hold a special faction meeting in the uh, Gaza border town of Sederot, which is one of the favorite targets of Islamic uh, Jihad uh, when they launched markets into Israel, following what they call a weak response in Gaza, uh, essentially, uh, their position is that uh, they are not going to cooperate with any kind of uh, legislative initiatives that uh, the Netanyahu coalition is uh, going to attempt to achieve until um, such time as they for lack of a better term, get their propers, uh, get assurances that they will be a part of these kind of uh, discussions going forward and so on. So in essence, it's kind of a game of uh, political chicken uh, Mm -hmm. that is going on there. But uh, if a fellow like Ben Giver, who is uh, known to be somewhat, I guess, for lack of a better term, an ideologue, uh, digs in his heels uh, and uh, removes himself, and his party from the governing coalition. Remember Netanyahu's governing coalition, I think it's like 63 uh, out of the uh, 61 votes that you need to have a coalition at that particular point. So if they decide to go, that's one of the large chunks, if you will, uh, that comes alongside Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud party and uh, makes a government possible. So the government could fall, uh, could uh, be declared uh, out of power and new elections could be called for if uh, one thing leads to another, which to me is probably the, uh, the end game of what uh, Islamic Jihad uh, was uh, attempting to accomplish in all this. Islamic Jihad is, uh, we've told you many times this broadcast, a uh, uh, puppet terrorist group controlled uh, by Iran, a wholly owned subsidy, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, the one thing the Iranians would want more than anything else is to see Israel in a place of chaos and turmoil. Seems like things have calmed down uh, regarding the uh, demonstrations that were taking place about uh, judicial reform. Uh, That seems to have passed over. Well, now we've got another crisis taking place here. And as long as Israel is divided, uh, this is good news for uh, their enemies. Uh, We have Told you uh, before uh, about uh, the, uh, the uh, t- very tenuous nature of peace in that region. And if you have a government that is in fact uh, fallen, uh, well, uh, without uh, Itamar Ben Gibber's uh, coalition, uh, the governing coalition will have only 58 votes and the opposition will have 56. So uh, you've got uh, ver- basically a paralyzed government. Uh, in place there at that particular time. So pray for uh, what's going on around there. Another uh, interesting (laughs) semi-highlight we wanted to pass along to you is uh, when I fired up the computer today. uh, I don't know how this got on my computer. Maybe you can clear it up for me later, Dave. (laughs) Uh, But uh, immediately what comes up on my Apple computer is Apple News, which is a very uh, Mm left-leaning conglomeration of stories. Well, one of the stories they were running on Apple News uh, was a story that we uh, discussed here on this broadcast, oh gosh, it was about eight days ago. And uh, they were finally getting around to talking about it. It was the story uh, that we mentioned from the Jerusalem Post and the Bild, B-I-L-D, newspaper in Germany that uh, the Ukraine had attempted to assassinate Vladimir Putin by way of a drone attack. Well, apparently they finally got around to Uh, broadcasting this on mainstream media. Certainly does fit into the category of wars and rumors of wars, as we've told you here. So, uh, you know, once again, we just like to remind you uh, on this broadcast that if you're looking to legacy media, uh, really anything with alphabets in front of it, uh, for your news, especially uh, significant prophetic news, you're, you're kind of barking up the wrong tree. Uh, I think these uh, guys are, are basically a daylight and a dollar short on most important stories, and the stories that they cover are definitely slanted to a particular political ideology. The answer to that, obviously, is to do your own homework, uh, to take a look at a number of different sources that are out there. You know, as we've mentioned, all Israel news. Uh, Joel Rosenberg's site is a very good site. We think Uh, for taking, uh, for staying abreast about what's going on in Israel. We like the Jerusalem Post, although they are a bit uh, left-leaning. The devka.com website, uh, our good friend and tour guide Ronnie Simone has uh, hinted that this may be a, uh, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Mossad, that is the Israeli CIA, Uh, But they do drop some very interesting stories Mm -hmm. from time to time that uh, have a funny way of making their way into the press maybe two or three days later. So, uh, you know, the calvaryprophecy.com I think is a very good site uh, as well. Terry Malone does a great job there of uh, keeping you up to date on significant stories. But do your own homework, you know. Uh, Stay alert, stay uh, in tune. Uh, Why? Uh, Because uh, the Lord's coming soon. And he's given us certain signs to watch for among those signs, um, the the wars and the rumors of wars that we have talked about uh, on the broadcast. So we like to keep you guys up to date and alert on those particular uh, sites going on there. One other thing I wanted to mention more uh, on a semi-personal vein as far as relationships go, uh, our friend uh, Chip Lesko Uh, the father of Levi Lesko, the uh, uh, famous uh, Bible teacher and uh, evangelist, Uh, really uh, an individual that has been deeply involved in our ministry in various areas as far as getting us on the air been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this is not a secret. He has published this uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, You can go to his particular Facebook site, Chip Lesko. Uh, on Facebook to find out uh, what's going on there. But I would just uh, would really invite all of us, as a uh, Reason for Hope family, Uh, to be keeping Chip in prayer Mm. at this particular time. Uh, He said that they did catch it very, very early, Mm. uh, but uh, pancreatic cancer is a very uh, difficult uh, beastie to get a hold of. So uh, we're praying for him. We're praying for a miraculous uh, manifestation to take place. I guess uh, when the word got out, uh, he was at a uh, men's uh, rally uh, that Levi was speaking at and uh, ended up having about 7,000 men praying for him. Mm. Uh, when uh, they announced that there. So uh, well. just please continue to keep Chip and his uh, wife Larissa and uh, the rest of the family in prayer. Family's gone through an awful lot. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> uh, it's just uh, another one of those things and, uh, you know, another one of those uh, uh, trials uh, that we have to uh, get through before we see the Lord face to face.
0: So uh, wanted to make you guys aware of all that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Definitely be praying. Well, thank you for those those updates. Um, we do have some questions coming in, if you guys are ready to uh, dive into those. Are you sure. ready? Yeah, are why you sitting not? comfortably? Let's are you yourself? Should I be comfortable? We've prayed up, we're yeah. all ready. Um, question from Jordan. Uh, this is a great question. This, this comes up a lot, actually, and it's a really good question. Uh, does it matter who we pray to? Does it have to be the Father, or can we pray to the Son and the Holy Spirit? Um, does it matter who we dress and how we address them? There's a verse that says, if you ask my father anything in Jesus name, um, is that to be taken literally? We have to address the father when we pray that whole issue. It's very good question.
2: We ought to, because that was what was modeled for us by Jesus in him. You have an excellent example in him who has had no sin nor deceit found in his mouth, that was the opinion of Peter anyway. And he was inspired by the Holy spirit. So when Jesus modeled for us proper prayer, he as you may remember in Matthew 6 noted not to make long repetitious prayers but to speak in secret and the father who hears you and sees you in secret will reward you openly he begins by addressing the father personally and then continues on from there but he also notes and others Uh, After him, note praying in his name, and that is an interesting one for some people. They usually think, Oh, so I just pray in Jesus' name, amen, and that's how I turn a sentence into a prayer. Not necessarily, slap that right on the end, you're good. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) prayer isn't postage, it's an audience. So, when we're talking about the issue of uh, how we ought to pray and what's the line, I guess, between inappropriate prayer we've had conversations with people who say for instance at memorials are just taking the time to pray and then they address the deceased and saying and we can't wait to see you afterwards I'll just take them aside and say D- don't do that <laughs> that that would be disrespectful not only to him or her but also to the one you're actually supposed to be speaking to in prayer but noting you're referencing the Trinity the interesting aspect is that in the three persons that are the one and only God mm-hmm. there is in fact acceptable references in scripture to people praying to them in particular for instance in the book of acts stephen before he breathes his last addresses jesus as the audience of his prayer Mm. god the son and says lord jesus receive my spirit Mm. in paul's letters he um, invokes the spirit of the living God to bless the church with every spiritual blessing. That would make the spirit the audience of the prayer. There are exceptions, but when it comes to the proper, the ideal, the moral ought, Jesus' example in Matthew 6, our Father in heaven, the Father, the first person of the Trinity, the primary, audience of our prayers is the one we ought to seek uh to communicate with the most if we talk to people outside of god that's called idolatry if we speak to those other than god that is wrong but if we address god the godhead it's not wrong per se but if we have a proper model jesus is that set one first and I, since he addressed the father so should we yeah, the
1: the only thing I'd add to that is, uh, you know, some people get a little nervous about that, and, you know, they, they feel like if their prayer isn't properly formatted, uh, that it's going to bounce back at them, uh, like a, a bad email address or something like bounce that. Uh check or something. Uh, no, that, that's not the case. I mean, we see Stephen, when he was being stoned, praying, Lord Jesus, uh, receive my spirit. Uh, I don't think anybody in heaven said to Stephen at that point, I, I. I point of parliamentary procedure here. You're supposed to pray to the Father in Jesus' name. Well, I think Stephen knew that, but uh, obviously in the uh, the heat of the moment, that's what he prayed, and the Lord obviously answered. Uh, the, the, the bottom line, though, is in John 16 and uh, verse 23, we read, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you until now you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive in your joy will be full. These things I've spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming while I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I'll tell you plainly about the Father. And that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say oh, I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you've loved me and believe I came from God. So, you know, I think the, the main reason that we address the Father is because the Father loves us. And uh, the more we learn to communicate with the Father, and uh, be able to receive his love in Jesus' name through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All members of the Trinity get involved. Uh, so uh, don't worry uh, about, you know, some people have said, well, you know, I've had a rough relationship with my earthly father, and it's a little uncomfortable for me you know, to do that. Is it okay if I pray to Jesus? Well, I don't think uh, God would find that offensive. I think the most important thing is that you're praying But I would pray as part of those prayers that the Lord, as he did with his disciples, would lead you into a better understanding of the fact that your heavenly father is not your earthly father and that uh, he himself loves you and wants to have that intimate relationship with you. Uh, And if uh, Jesus said, just like in the Lord's prayer, uh, as it is called uh, pray in this way, our father in heaven, if he gave us that instruction, I think it's a good one to follow.
0: Yeah. 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 And it does, I think, Sean mentioned about just the roles Of the trinity you know i'm thinking as i'm thinking about it you know the the word tells us that when the holy spirit comes he will point us to jesus who obviously is the one that died for our sins and so as you get to know the roles within the godhead i think as a worship leader you know sometimes i mention the holy spirit when i pray because the holy spirit's moving you know and then obviously especially communion sundays we thank jesus for what he did but it all comes back to the father in that so as i'm thinking about that just the roles that they have sometimes i direct my prayers accordingly just like maybe a workplace, you know, I know who to go to to ask for something. Yeah, and, and, and again, sometimes we get into habits. Uh, you know, it's
1: almost like when you're playing a sport, uh, to play a sport well means sometimes you have to unlearn things that you've learned. Yeah. Uh, and it always feels a little awkward when someone tells you, no, you got to keep your left arm straighter or, or things like this. Uh, But, uh, you know, as we apply those principles, we find improvement in a physical level. In the same way, I think, as we apply those principles and make that our focus, uh, we're going to see growth in a spiritual level. So, you -hmm. know, I don't think it's just an eh. Uh, Otherwise, I don't think Jesus would have mentioned it so clearly. So, you know, let's let's focus in on praying the way Jesus
0: taught us to pray and uh, experience the spiritual growth that comes through that. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Um, Sean Jordan mentioned about when you pray sometimes you say Dad. You, you start dad, you know, and you pray. Um, maybe you share your heart in in that, what your heart is when you well, it's not as much the heart as it is aligning my heart with my head,
2: because obviously when I say father, that's not the way that I generally talk to an earthly or heavenly father. I say dad quite informally, because that's a conversation. Yeah, you call me most exalted parental. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, it refers to me as the elder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, little nicknames. You should see the other ones I have. But the yeah. point being made is this. When I do that, it's to kind of get me in the mode of talking to God in ways that I would talk to anyone else. If I get too informal or too impassive, um, it was kind of a year-long project for me a couple years back when I was just saying, okay, got a new year. I got a new, not New Year's resolution per se, but something that I just want to focus this year in my walk with God on. And it was prayer that time. Just God, do a work in my heart that... Uh, can make me pray more to you rather than at you and that was one of the things that I kind of resolved in my heart to do. I'm addressing God as my father. I'm calling out to him in the Romans 8 style as Abba which is the most informal way of addressing a parent. So if I do that it has a way of giving me Kind of that break from the monotony of saying father thank you for the food and for the time that we have now i i actually address him as if there's an audience which should always be our goal when we pray obviously you don't have to model it after me god can do something specific in your heart that can have you mentioning him as exalted and a heavenly king of the universe which by the way the church in acts did to remind them of his sovereignty they needed to know that in order to get proper perspective about all the shenanigans that were going on i don't have that problem i need to kind of bring god down to a more relational level Mm -hmm. otherwise i'll speak to him without speaking to him and that's just where my heart's at to make sure that my head isn't just going through a routine but i'm actually remembering to talk to someone and dad is enough for me to get out of that informal to formal rote and it's in line with uh, Romans chapter eight and verse fifteen. Yeah,
1: uh, we uh, cry out to God, Abba, Father. That literally means daddy, if you will.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that the heart of that verse? You think to to give us a more sort of approachable view of God like that? i, I know Well, that if you
2: follow Paul's argument, Romans eight is essentially bringing you back from the pit of despair that is Romans 7, and noting that you're still struggling in sin, but this relationship somehow at the same time is not violated. So if the, uh, sp- the whole context of the verse is we do not uh, relate to God on the basis of fear, yeah. but on the basis of relationship, and then goes on to note very intimate terms to describe that. And so having become sons of God, we also ought to be a little more bold in our approach to him. That's, I think, a fair takeaway. There is a specific definition, but a broad application to that text. I think that one of the ways that could be applied would be through addressing God, not disrespectfully, but perhaps we could, if you're like me, a little more informal might help in understanding you're speaking to someone who's listening, rather than just putting your... uh, uh, letter to the congressman, in and in hoping they deign to read it at some point. Yeah,
0: yeah. Or having to go to some kind of place of worship to meet with God, or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great. Great question, Jordan. Thank you for that. Appreciate being part of the show today. It's a really good question. Good discussion for sure.
1: And can I uh, offer one uh, more point of clarification sure on can. one of the issues we talked about uh, at the start of the broadcast? Yeah. Uh, we talked about eight days ago a uh, report that uh, the Ukrainians had launched a drone attack on an uh, a industrial park that was just outside of the area around the Kremlin in Moscow with the attempt to take out Vladimir Putin. Uh, the uh, NBC story and followed up on all Israel news uh, indicates that uh, this was another drone attack that actually had uh, shrapnel and debris landing inside the gates of the Kremlin. And on all uh, Israel uh, dot com, uh, you can uh, get up to date on all of that. The big question, of course, is uh, if he has Putin has survived not one but two. Attempted uh, drone attacks to assassinate him. How is he going to retaliate look mm. for things to really heat up in that region? Mm. Well, thanks, for,
0: thanks for that. Thanks for injecting that. Yeah. Okay, question from uh, Robert here. Robert says, Maranatha and Shalom, my brothers in Christ. Ditto thanks. to you. Uh, his question is, I'm sure you have gotten this question over and over again, but my question is about the idea of Satan impregnating Eve in the uh. garden and also the sons of men going into the women um, at that time, which I just can't take or believe because I don't see any scripture to back that up. I understood that angels are spirits and don't have the biology like we humans do, just wanted to throw those questions out there and get your take. Thanks and God bless. Yeah, the
2: Serpent Seed Doctrine is definitely an oldie but a baddie. Um, it's essentially... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it really is. It's yeah. really toxic. Yeah. yeah. It's essentially taking a idea that was kind of thrown out into the Talmud, which is one of many, by the way, that was taken too far, and essentially, especially in modern day but throughout history, has been used as essentially a foundation for dehumanizing a particular ethnic group as unsavable now obviously when people want to get around this they'll note that there were unsavable categories of human beings that were interbred with angels and that was the purpose of the flood that's the controversy of the Nephilim which is a position by the way my father and I do not hold so when we're talking about this issue we'll get into that in a second. But as far as the Serpent Seed Doctrine in of itself, the usual proof text they'll go to is in Genesis chapter 3, where, first red flag, they'll note that there's a particular Hebrew word, where it notes that when the serpent deceived Eve, it was actually the word for seduced, and it was uh, connotating right. this kind of idea that there was yeah. a physical interaction there. Not in the text, but if you kind of look at it at this angle and you can tell you're being manipulated. Uh, Got questions? Uh, wrote an article on it that I think gives a pretty good comparison, where they note that this handling of scripture is very inconsistent, because another instance, uh, Proverbs 30 and verse 20 notes through the use of metaphor, uh, a sexually immoral woman compared to just eating a meal, wiping her mouth clean of it, and saying, "I've done no wrong." Mm. Uh, well, there are some ways you can apply that in the literal sense but there's in the text noting a physical act and then saying that there's no shame in it there's also noting a uh, intellectual act and just because some sort of suggestive language is used doesn't mean a physical action was literally applied mm-hmm. now if you want to get into bizarre mythologies and you know the whole um, Plutarch's life of Alexander and the fact that uh, his mother was a part of a snake cult and literally did that sort of thing, that's another issue. But that's what gets into the realm of mythology, not the history of Genesis. So when we look at Genesis and take the plain meaning of the text, what was the overall interaction? Well, first of all, it wasn't just Eve as the audience. She gave to her husband. She didn't go and get her husband. He was present there with this. And so you have to read a lot more into the text to support this assumption on one nuanced word rather than the 15 words that make up the whole sentence and event. Also note, when we look at what actually happened, the plain sense should always make sense. If you believe in any other sense, that's probably gonna end up being nonsense the only thing that was happening there was conversation. Now there is some question as to whether or not the serpent was an actual snake or a shining one, the Nahash in Hebrew, but as far as the interesting details of it something was talking to someone and it was to lead them away from god you can't base a justification for racial prejudice and the invalidation of salvation for an entire category of human beings on the basis of one word might be taken another way yeah. so be careful with that yeah the, and, um, and, and one thing i
1: would add to that and this is really where the serpent seed doctrine i i think just uh, runs head on into a uh, dead end yeah. Uh, yes, they say, ah, well, you know, that, uh, the idea could be, and you know, the, old, the old King James says he beguiled Eve, mm. and, and that can uh, mean seduction, and, and so that's where Cain came from. Well, interesting theory. Let's check that out according to the plain teaching of Scripture. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. And now literally now a couple things I would say here first of all we get a uh, I guess a DNA test uh, on Cain First of all Adam was the daddy uh, bore Cain and in fact to accentuate it uh, we see I've acquired a man the name Cain literally means I've acquired a man from the Lord not a man from a snake so you know any anybody that wants to start prattling on about this cover for racism group and you know you mentioned the racism aspect of it Um, they will say you know well they're the sons of Cain or they sometimes refer to them as the Kenites and uh, they will go into some kind of long song and dance for you to try to show you usually it's the Jews Hmm. uh, but it can be other groups as well that a particular uh Supremacist group of whatever stripe, yeah, Anglo-Israelite, uh, like Anglo-Israelites, uh, or refer to uh, them
2: as the dark-skinned ones. Mormons uphold this doctrine today. There is the idea of the uh, Sakari group of IUIC, the Black Hebrew Israelites, as they're often called, say that they're the Edomites, the, yeah, the fair-skinned people. The, the,
1: the, the Reverend Moon, the Branomites, all uh, get really
2: involved with all of this
1: mm. but really it all dies right there in, if in genesis chapter four and verse one but if that wasn't enough for you to say that there is some kind of particularly um genetically defective group that god cannot save mm. because they're related to satan that's yeah. where they came from well first of all we've excluded that possibility but then okay here's another clear verse galatians chapter three And verse 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Uh, As if to emphasize this, he goes on and reiterates this same statement in the book of Colossians, where he talks about barbarian or Scythian or slave or free and all these. In other words, uh, racial distinctions don't have a play in all of this. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, that said God made uh, from one blood every nation to uh, dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, if you're gonna say that one group is infected with Satan's DNA, you've gotta say that everybody's infected with Satan's DNA, including whatever particular group you belong to. So, you know, when someone comes along with this, you know, anti-Semitic usually, uh, but uh, also it can be, you know, anti-black, it can be anti-white, it can uh, be anti- whatever group de jure you've got it in for, you know, once again, you check scripture with scripture, and uh, there's no way around the fact that we know uh, what Cain's parentage was. Uh, No way around it. And uh, there's no way around the fact that there's no people group that God isn't interested in saving. So there you go.
2: Yeah, and if you want us to get more into the issue of the Nephilim, let us know. But the idea, just in short, is the idea that there's never been a human being on this earth that God categorically could not save uh, based on their biology, their genealogy. If we're going to get into that route, then you're going to have a lot of problems. Yeah, like human-angel
1: hybrids that were unsavable. That's usually what the uh, Nephilim doctrine ends up teaching. Yeah, and again,
2: not everyone who holds that doctrine would stand on that, but the idea is this. When we get into the serpent seed doctrine, just make sure that you let them explain its origins, and then call them out when asking two simple questions. Where and when? If Cain, chapter 4, is the offspring of Satan, or if there's this other secret child that was produced from Eve, or if you get into the uh, Kabbalistic and uh, mythological accounts of Lilith, for example, Adam's secret first wife and all that, where and when? Why did you come to that conclusion? Where and when? Does this actually make sense, given the full revelation of God's word? And then as we read in 2 Peter chapter 3, God's not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Obviously, we note, well, not angels, and that's where we get the room in for the Nephilim, That's, again, a non-starter, because categorically and, I guess, uh, biologically, Peter is speaking to the whole of mankind. If you want to get into the nuance of Greek in that, fine. We can do that song and dance all day. But the point being made is this. When we get into the serpent seed doctrine, it's not intended to take from Scripture. It's to put in a confirmation of prejudice in Scripture. And even if it's justified, which it isn't, that's not how you read let alone interpret anything. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: It's, it's just, it's a train wreck. Yeah, yeah. sounds yeah. like it, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but you know, once again, and th- and this emphasizes a really important point because you start getting involved with conversations about the serpent seed and, you know, what does the word, uh, you know, again, uh, you know, the, beguiled or, or led astray or, or things like this. You know, you can go into these people and they'll get out a, a long list of lexicon definitions of different words. Uh, you know, you will even run into people, uh, I had an interaction uh, online today where someone said, "Yes, I talked to a Hebrew scholar in Jerusalem who said that uh, there was uh, no way that uh, Daniel chapter nine and verse twenty-six could be referring to the Antichrist. It must refer to Jesus Christ." And I looked at that and I said, "Well, you know, I got a little background in Hebrew. Uh, this isn't linguistic. This is interpretive. You know, if uh, you decide right off the bat that God is." done with the Jewish people, that he has no more plans for them, well then you've got to uh, write any kind of future dealings with Israel out of the picture. And a lot of times they will say, well that's why uh, we can't uh, expect a new temple to be built, that this was all fulfilled back in uh, Jesus' day, you know, when he died and then afterwards the temple was destroyed and so on. Um, Well, if you want to take that point of view, you certainly can, but to say that a particular Hebrew word leads you in that direction, is erroneous, Hmm. I want to tell you. I mean, you should, you can make a case for that particular point of view, but uh, this is a trade secret, and I'm sharing it with you here today. I mean, I have a three-year master's degree in biblical languages and theology from Talbot Seminary. I have never in my entire ministry career encountered any verse of scripture that the average person could not understand Uh, unless they were conversant in the original languages. If you look at a passage in its literal, grammatical, and historical context, uh, you ask those questions they teach you in journalism school, who, what, where, when, and why, uh, about any passage of Scripture, you allow Scripture to interpret Scripture with an English translation, Uh, you're not going to be led astray. But uh, as soon as somebody starts doing the hand-waving, uh, well, I, and I'm a Greek scholar, or I'm a Hebrew scholar, and unless you see this through uh, my particular lens, you uh, uh, plebes down there just can't understand this. Well, when I hear that sort of thing, and, and you know, I don't want to attribute motive, but, but file this away in the back of your mind. There was a really dangerous heresy in the early church called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism believed that only the elite the spiritually elite, could truly understand what God's word meant. And now in their case, we had to go through various rituals and various, uh, you know, again, uh, really strict uh, personal uh, uh, disciplines and so on and, and kiss the right fingers and, and so on, uh, you know, in order to have this insider knowledge that yeah. the average person just didn't have. So whenever I start hearing somebody say, oh, well, you know, if you got to seminary like me, you'd have this insider knowledge that the mm-hmm. average person just doesn't have. And they start bamboozling you with five syllable words and so on. Um, don't listen to them. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the message uh, of the gospel is uh, incredibly simple in, incredibly direct. Uh, and I, if you just apply those basic tools when you come to any s- uh, passage of scripture, even one that's kind of causing you to scratch your head, one of the things we discovered in our journey through the book of Revelation is that uh, there are all kinds of people out there that go, oh, who can understand the book of Revelation? It's just a bunch of strange symbols and weird things tossed into a wearing blender and turned on puree. Uh, No, when you allow scripture to interpret scripture, it's very plain as far as the message is concerned. Revelation, Revelation, it wasn't called the book of obscurity.
2: It wasn't apocrypha, it was apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. It was God
1: intending to reveal his truth. For
2: those who don't speak the Greek, apocal- uh, apocrypha means to conceal, apocalypse means to reveal. So, yeah. So, God wants you to know his
0: truth. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Robert, thank you for that question. I hope that, that helps you out. You sparked quite the discussion there. Very good. A uh, question from uh, Angelica Is it wrong to listen to dark heavy metal music? Is it demonic? My son likes the band. Disturbed. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar with them. I don't think you need to be with a name like Disturbed. I am. Um, it's a heavy metal. Uh, is heavy metal. Well, then I will
1: defer it's to your NBA. expertise. No, it's, uh, <laughs> um,
2: l- let me uh, just uh, put this out. When we're talking about is something demonic, is something satanic, the emphasis needs to be on the message, not on the imagery. Usually, in Disturbed, they like. Um, oh, which one was associated with Eddie the Skeleton? Was that ACDC? Uh, or Metallica? No, it was Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, thank I'm you. Th- I am uh, familiar with
0: them. Yeah, good job. Uh, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> you, you get into a lot of the not necessarily <laughs>
2: modern, but uh, late 90s, uh, early 2000s metal bands and so forth. They took on a very dark imagery and persona. But like with individuals, we've had questions about him too Alice Cooper. It's. <laughs> kind of a shtick, it's a gig. They're just Mm. playing to a theme, not necessarily... like going to a horror movie. Yeah, Yeah. and it's not necessarily, let me put that out there, espousing a message. And even if that message is being espoused, that doesn't necessarily mean that the audiences are going to go out and act on them. Uh, You look at just sheer, like monstrosities of imagery, like Cannibal Corpse, which are, if you listen to their music, it sounds like guttural roaring, but there is actually lyrics talking about murder and death and all this other is stuff. That screamo? Yeah, kind anyone? of. Yeah. But the, the idea behind it is, of course, the, the <laughs> oh, bands God, are literally. just there to thrash around and to promote <laughs> adrenaline spikes in order to center around a theme. The fact that a message is being promoted there of death and of disease and whatever, doesn't necessarily mean it's demonic. When we're talking about demonic, it's something that opposes itself against the truth. Now, I would say taste aside a yoko ono concert is more satanic than a disturbed album (laughs) because yoko ono has purposefully and she broke up the beatles man (laughs) yeah (laughs) well that that's another question that might be something she got right but the point being made is this the message behind it is what's key and if it opposes the gospel that's what you should really care about if dark themes are something that you want to be sensitive about uh, times in my life for instance when i was uh, struggling with anger and was prone to violence. You, as my father, were careful about the movies I was watching, the songs I was listening to, Mm. not because they were demonic, but because I was sensitive. I was uh, uh, culpable for uh, falling into those kinds of things. Impressionable. Going back to Disturbed, since that was the one being referenced, a lot of their themes, a lot of their music contains uh, just emphasis and glorification of mental illness. Uh, Some of their songs in particular are very vulgar and profane and uh, violent. But when we're talking about the idea of them being demonic or satanic, again, I would say that they're not for everybody and I wouldn't necessarily recommend listening to them, especially in church, because of those vulgar themes. But that's not, for the third time, because I want this to be understood, what makes something satanic. What makes something satanic is that it opposes the truth. It opposes the gospel. Again, you look at Marilyn Manson and him throwing out Bibles to be torn up, God can even use that because there's a possibility that in the shredding session some kid might decide not to tear up a book and take it home. But the message is in fact deliberately against the gospel. That's what I would say is something satanic. The fact that uh, you know perfect insanity and noting the uh, idea of someone just having a mental breakdown and going on a killing spree, uh, down with the sickness, someone embracing their homicidal tendencies, it's a theme. It's dark. It's gritty, but it's not satanic. If, on the other hand, you go to things that, well, um, I don't even remember the name of the individual, but the person who performed at the Grammys, uh, who was dressed up as Satan and performing uh, Luciferian rituals on the stage, that is indeed satanic, not because of the imagery, not because of the theme, but the message. It's deliberately opposing the gospel. So if, and this is what ties it all back to the main issue, gets into your family member and seeing that this isn't uh healthy for them understand it's not because it's satanic but because just that it's not healthy it's not cultivating the kind of mindset you would want in building someone up in godliness if on the other hand it's just music it's just exciting it's got the right be Uh, BPM, I think, is their proper acronym to help me get motivated in a run, which is sometimes why I'm listening to that. That is and can be the only reason that's allowed. So keep that in mind, keep them in mind, and understand the difference between something just being dark and something being satanic, because there is a difference. Yeah, very good.
0: Yeah, I have a um, a rule with my 13 year old daughter that during the week, school days, she can listen; she has to listen to Christian music, and in the weekend, she can listen to secular kind of made that compromise with her and it was because i could hear in a room playing these sad secular songs and just that kind of influence you know but then last night she said i but i i have to listen to instrumental music when i do homework otherwise i get distracted and can't do it I said, "Well, listen to Christian instrumental music, and then we had a big debate on, well, if it's instrumental, does it matter if it's Christian or secular? And There's no music, that, cool. there's no message, there's a tone, so. <laughs> That's right, but.
2: Uh, we had See, I should d- talk to her. I can probably can have her convince you that secular songs do have a
0: biblical message. So. Yeah, well, don't talk to her then. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it was a fun discussion we had. But uh, thank you for that question, um, Angelica. Thank you, hope that helps you out. Question from Annie. Um, this harkens back to that we talked about prayer earlier. Um, in light that uh, God the Father is spirit and not form, does it matter if we sometimes pray to God as mother mm. as well as father? Uh, the motivation has nothing to do with politics, rather, sometimes mother feels more apropos. Very interesting question. At well, here's the problem. Yeah. Do we base our approach to God on how I feel?
1: Uh, emotion, or do I base my approach to God on revelation? If God has shown us that we are to approach Him in the way that He has revealed Himself in the Word, and has shown us that some people taking liberties along this line, for instance, you read through the book of Jeremiah and you discover uh, that there were all kinds of people that were worshiping the Queen of Heaven, Mm. and uh, you know, I don't think they started out by saying, hey, what are we gonna do today? I know, let's uh, get involved uh, with some God dishonoring form of paganism. Right. You know, the, the problem with deception is it usually is by increments and degrees. And, uh, you know, again, in uh, Proverbs chapter 14, we are told there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Mm. Very true when it comes to our concepts about God, particularly if, and this is, I think, the real issue here, uh, if we have elevate our emotions yeah. as the final decider of truth. If yeah. something feels right to me, yeah. then it is true. Yeah. Well, there was a time in Israel's history where they did just that. Mm. It was the time of the judges. It says there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. Uh, the, the, you know, the problem with uh, being led by your feelings—your feelings aren't good. They're not bad. They're just your feelings. They're excellent servants, but they're poor masters. Yeah. And the minute we say to ourselves, "Okay, this is—you uh, know—I I don't see this anywhere in Scripture," but uh, I don't see anyone ever praying to Mother God Mm -hmm. in Scripture. I don't see Jesus saying, "Say our mother in heaven, but this feels right to me. Mm -hmm. Well, what we've done is we've elevated our feelings to the final decider, and I would strongly, strongly urge against that, because uh, we can feel certain things are true and not have them uh, be true, you know, Uh, and I think it gets down to a lot of issues that are going on in life i feel a certain way therefore that's my truth well the problem is there is such a thing as absolute truth that is binding on all people the truth that god has revealed to us Uh, and that you don't have to necessarily be a spiritual person to encounter this Mm -hmm. you know at one point in my life i think i was about six years old uh, i believed that i could fly like superman so i put on a cape got up uh, climbed up on uh, the top of the roof and put my faith to the test well that did not make the ground any softer yeah. when i discovered that despite all my sincerity and being sincere enough to jump off the roof mm-hmm. uh didn't make uh, the law of gravity was still in effect yeah you know how i felt about it didn't change the issue yeah. uh so you know really important that we have that uh, you know god's word uh, according to psalm 119 verse 105 is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And here's the problem. You know, you got biases, I got biases, all God's children got biases. There's certain things that we see clearly, there's certain things that we do not. Uh, the safest place, I think, to be is to be in a place where we are letting God's word be that lamp unto our feet and light into our path, where I don't say, this is what feels good to me, this is what God's word has to say, and it is true whether I feel it's true or it makes me feel better or not. Uh, my feelings need to be out of it. I think C.S. Lewis once said, uh, unless we get to a place where we learn to tell our feelings where to get off, uh, we are going to be constantly lost in this life. Anything you'd add to that?
2: Yeah, just revelation should take priority, but a good way to challenge this is to take it to its logical end. Before Jesus' incarnation, would it have ever been appropriate to address him as God the daughter? No no if we're going to go through scripture every single revelation is describing Jesus before the incarnation mind you before he took on the XY chromosome that would identify him as a biological male mm-hmm. before he was a biological to use the, the term uh, kind of loosely we need to understand Proverbs 30 notes what is his son's name if you know when we note in Micah 5 2, the intention and the identifier of God being a son that the God with us would be a son, that that is intentional, that the identifiers of God are always in the masculine and that being intentional, and the you clarified in politics, but the only reason that would be victimizing or excluding two females is because of modern culture wanting to empower rather than to simply state this is a statement of fact. Mm-hmm. If God made mankind in his own image it is true that male and female encompass aspects of his nature we both reflect the image of god but if we then say oh so god is female just as much as he is male that's taking an inference too far that's inferring into scripture something that isn't revealed because woman to your credit is an extremely unique creation, not just noting the helpers that would accompany in all of creation, but that when Adam was made, literally dirt, he was taken from him, woman, mm-hmm. and created uniquely as the capstone of creation. And then scripture goes on to identify this, man is the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. Mm-hmm. There's aspects of her that reflect beauty that are very much appealing to mankind, but when we note the identification of God as a man, it's not a biological description, but nor is it excluding that masculinity either. If we say, well, I can't relate to God then unless he has womanly qualities, once again, that's culture speaking, that's politics speaking, not scripture. So make sure that we don't train ourselves into this victimized mindset of, it takes a woman to understand a woman. No, it takes an omniscient being to understand a woman, and God is that. So let's just make sure that we don't go farther than Scripture and that we are willing to test ourselves and say, this kind of sounds silly now that I look at it from another angle. Would God have, and has rightly been described, as having feminine aspects or traits? Well, a mother hen is noted in his brooding over creation in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 3, I believe, where he's maintaining creation. But does that mean that he does a feminine act make him a feminine? Well, no more than today, people. Here we get kicked off of YouTube here in five seconds. Dressing up like a woman makes them a woman. Saying I'm a woman makes them a woman. It's not that superficial. So make sure that we don't fall into this mindset of, well, I need to have a goddess. Otherwise, I can't have a relationship with them. No, you need the God of Scripture, and he has revealed himself a certain way. And we can either be content with that or rebel against it, but the consequences of that are self-explanatory. Yeah, Yeah.
0: that's right. We're coming up on the end of the show, believe it or not, but uh, time for one more I'm going to declare from uh, Mac D. Uh, Why would someone have to put filters on stuff to keep from sinning? Talking about like internet filters and things like that. Are we too weak, and will we have a tendency to give in, (laughs) or is it self-control? It's a great question.
2: (laughs) That's not just weak, it's smart. Uh, You you take into account your own incompetence. You're two steps ahead of the average Joe. Uh, Romans 13 is oftentimes the place you want to go. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This is a way of being proactive about that. If you have a provision, but it is a way of not only doing fleshly things, but not fleshly things, a filter is what narrows down that purpose. It's not wrong. But if you're saying... Well, no, I have to have faith that God will be uh, able to give me victory in this area. Well, he might be by you just not being (laughs) a—you get the idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, it's almost like saying, you know, well, I'd really like to know God, but I don't really want to open up up my Bible. Um, Well, God's given us the Bible so that we can know him. Uh, I think there are certain things that we have available to us today. We say, well, I have a struggle with my flesh. I know I fall into these things very easily. Sometimes these things just pop up on the Internet, and I'm kind of weak about it why wouldn't you want to take advantage of that technology? Right. Uh, maybe you'll get to a point someday where it's not an issue for you anymore. Yep. Uh, you know, but we've all got our different areas of temptation. You know, one of the things that I always throw out to people is, uh, you know, for me, gambling's not a problem. Hmm. You know, when people say, oh, are you gonna play the lottery? I'm going, nah, I think I'll just throw a dollar bills out in the wind. If God wants me to win, the lottery, you know, the winning lottery ticket will blow in through uh, in my chimney into my living room, which only slightly <laughs> decreases my odds of winning. You know, I don't have a problem with that, but I know people who do uh, and, yeah. and they really struggle in this particular area. You know, MACD, you might not have a problem in that particular area, so you're kind of scratching your head and puzzled over why some people would have these kind of guards Uh, Upon themselves, but uh, we've all got our different bents, we've all got our different areas of weakness. And if there's a way that we can practically address that so we're not falling
0: into that, we need
1: to take advantage of
0: it. Yeah, that's just wisdom,
1: right? Very good.
0: Yep, Jesus said, If your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off, you know. So we can certainly do those things. Well, thank you, everyone. Great questions today. Awesome questions. Thank you for being part of A Reason for Hope. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. We're going to go live in half an hour for our service here. Is Book of Ezekiel. Am I correct? Yes. Book of Ezekiel, yep. Yeah. So we'll see you then. If not, we'll see you tomorrow. God bless you guys. Yep. Yeah.
2: You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you.